Um, the same thing with the national team. I mean, yes, there's big games that I got to play in and you're nervous before the game, but once the puck drops for me, it was just, I got to play. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of The Office Podcast. My name is Braden, a sport management student currently studying at Durham College, and I'm aspiring sport management entrepreneur. Uh, welcome to The Office Podcast. As I said, very first episode, we're taking you into the hockey industry, viewing it from on and off the ice from some pretty awesome guests. And I got to say, first episode, we lucked out uh, on this guest, and I can't wait for you guys to, uh, to meet her. And if you don't already know already, we're going to get to know what she does for, uh, for women's hockey and kind of how she developed as a hockey player. So if you don't know her, three-time Olympian, two-time gold medalist at the Olympics, one of the greatest teams, greatest Canadian women's hockey teams of all time, five-time world champion, two-time MVP of the world championships, co-founder of the Canadian Women's Hockey League, and former GM of, and star player of the Toronto Furies, Sammy Joe Small. Thanks so much for having me on, Brayden. I, I didn't know I was the very first guest, so thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I, I did have a previous podcast, and some of these viewers may be from that old podcast. It was called The Underrated Podcast. We were about 38 episodes or so, and then I decided oh, wow. to kind okay. of transition to, to this one. Awesome. Well, so congratulations. Kind of... I'm excited to start the new chapter then, we'll say. Yeah, so it's it's kind of just, you know, bringing in some hockey guests where I want to end up uh, in my career too. So it's kind of, you know, helping me you know, learn about some people and make some connections for, you know, my future. And um, it's really just for me to get to know some awesome stories and uh, see how different takes on how hockey is shaped up and how we see it today. Well, all right. So if you don't know Sammy already, um, she was, again, a starting goaltender for the Canadian Women's Hockey League. But you, you grew up playing in, in boys hockey. And if you haven't already seen her TED Talk, it's called uh, An Olympic Take on Teamwork fantastic it uh, i listened to the entire thing and it's it's very powerful and we'll get into you know what she does now and what uh, what she created beforehand i don't want to give it away just now in case you never heard of it but you mentioned like really early in that uh, in the ted talk that you know you're inspired by your brother playing hockey and you wanted to do the same thing and you kind of you started off at about eight years old kind of going to nine and you got a lot of feedback from playing boys hockey and at nine years old, obviously, you don't really understand, you know, what's, you know, no comments and all that kind of stuff. So how did it affect you playing at nine or eight years old when you first started? Yeah. So, I mean, great question. What's so amazing now is to walk into a rink and see a young girl uh, with a ponytail and you don't even question it. But that certainly wasn't the case. I'm 46. So this is more than 40 years ago in Winnipeg. And I would say Winnipeg even was further behind um, places like Ontario where girls could play, but there was no girls playing. And my parents um, didn't really understand when they first registered me that that was the case, that girls did not play hockey. They figure skated or they played ringette. Once they had that realization and I was at the rink, um, they could see the joy that I had playing. And I think they just wanted to foster that. And so they really took the brunt of most of the comments, a lot of the misogynistic comments that circulated around me and people told them I shouldn't be playing. Um, but they're really the true heroes, I think, of the story, because they're the ones that allowed their young daughter to simply have joy in playing. Right. And so 
when I realized that what I was doing was different, um, there certainly was challenges, there was obstacles. Um, I'm not going to say that it was just an easy path, but I had some really great people around me and in my corner, including my parents. Uh, but I also had some really great teammates, uh, a lot of boys that I grew up with that it would have been strange for them to have a girl on the team. Um, and I'm sure the first time I showed up, they're like, what's this girl in our doing in our dressing room? Um, but they uh, became my fiercest uh, supporters and uh, they treated me like a teammate. And I'm sure along the way, anyone, if anybody had made my life miserable, I probably would have quit. So um, I never really stopped to think of why all my peers weren't playing also. Uh, but they probably had a, a situation that was either wasn't great or they weren't allowed to play. So I feel really lucky that I kind of made it through. Uh, and that's the thing that, you know, no girl should have to make it through. Um, however, uh, I did get to play boys, double uh, A AA and triple A hockey all the way through in Winnipeg. And, um, but it, uh, I never dreamt of going to the Olympic games. Women's hockey was not an Olympic sport. It was simply, uh, what I did because I loved it and I loved watching it on TV. Um, but I never really saw another girl playing. So I never really had aspirations within the game. So before we kind of transition to when you started playing women's hockey from ages about nine to 14, as you grew up playing, you know, high level boys hockey and, you know, beating out some other boys that were playing single A and like, you know, being, you know, the top dog in triple A, were the emotions the exact same growing up for the five years in men's hockey and then transitioning over to women's hockey? So actually the first time I ever played women's hockey was on the Olympic team when I was 22. So um, I did play in uh, the Canada games, which was a tournament, a weekend tournament um, when I was 13. And it was the first time I saw girls hockey at that level, but my team was consisted mostly of girls that had only ever played ringette. So lots were making the transition. And really after that tournament, there wasn't teams for us to play on. Um, we went back to playing boys hockey or wherever you came from. So um, yeah, I mean, it, is it different playing boys and, uh, and women's hockey? For sure it is. But I was also an adult by the time I joined a women's team. Uh, I think what I missed out on in women's hockey or just hockey in general was on, at the tournaments, you know, the, just all the fun things that go on, along with a tournament and being part of a team. I mean, yes, the guys were really great to me. It was, they're always so nice, but um, it's not the same. And, you know, I see young girls at tournaments where they're, um, uh, they all show up in the same jacket and they all, um, you know, are playing mini sticks in, in the hallway during the uh, hotel in the hotel room. And like, I never really had that opportunity. I was always different. I always had to have my pa parents travel with me. Um, so there was certainly differences. And when I got to, I mean, this sounds strange, but when I got to actually like change out of my clothes in the same dressing room and um, have a shower after a game. That was like huge for me. I had never had that before and never had that experience. So joining a women's team and having other women and other girls that liked what I liked was really, um, that was so different for me, but it, it was a hard transition. I mean, it's, it's a different game and you think you're going to excel uh, and you don't. I mean, these are all women that also had those same dreams. So um, yeah, but I was just so grateful that I had found sort of kindred spirits that uh, had fallen in love with the game like me. No, yeah, that's that. It's a it's a fantastic story on how you kind of grew up into uh, into women's hockey. But I, I believe you started as a player. So how was the transition to 
going from player to goalie because I've done the exact same thing. I started as a player and then I went to a goalie. So I know how difficult that change can be in terms of learning how to play the game. So when did you change into a goalie and how did that how did that work out for you? Yeah, I don't know if this is your story, but my parents didn't want to buy the equipment when I was little. So that's kind of I feel like a lot of kids stories. Um but I still, despite that, played goalie and street hockey whenever I could. I just, I love watching the goalies on TV. I would, I don't know if you've done this, but jump up and down on my bed and make saves. Like I just, I thought I was the goalie all the time. And so the transition to me, honestly, wasn't that big of a deal. I was nine or 10, I want to say. Um, and I had developed, I, I mean, I was a good skater. I was, um, play, I played a lot of shinny and stuff and Um, but I fell in love with goaltending and, uh, actually my goalie partner on my very first team, he was really great because he taught me a lot about the position. And back then we didn't have goalie coaches and we didn't have, um, like goalie instruction or goalie camps you could go to. So it was simply about watching. And, um, I remember checking out of the library, uh, the Vladislav Tretiak book over and over and over to just figure out how a goalie trained and what do they do? And, um, yeah, it was my first time that I got to go and pick out the equipment because it was all community-based equipment. Um, I got stuck with like the last stuff and it was like this gross brown pads and everything, but I loved it. I didn't care when I put it on. I just felt like a warrior. So um, it has served me well that I did play forward um, and I ended up playing forward at the Canada Games because um, it. I just felt like it was something fun and something different. But um, now in my late forties, I can play, uh, women's rec hockey as a forward and it feels like a brand new sport. Like I'm just like, it's going a million miles an hour out there, but I mean, at least I can skate, I can shoot. And when I work with goalies, at least I have a shot that I can, uh, try to snipe. So, yeah, yeah. I, I had a pretty similar story. I, my dad was a goalie. So both my dad and my uncle were goalies. So they kind of got sucked into it. And, you know, at that age, I kind of looked up to my dad. Uh, I remember seeing him play at an arena. And just kind of like I got I got sucked into it. But you you're know, mesmerized. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do regret like, you know, leaving goalie, but now player just having fun with my buddies. So it I will agree it is a completely different game than actually playing goalie. Because it feels the nice like thing re- when you don't have to be the goalie is you don't have to be um relied upon all the time. Like you don't actually have to be there all the time. Yeah. So yeah. in rec hockey, like if you want to miss a game, it's okay. The goalie can never miss though. They need to be so consistent exactly yeah and it, it's it, it's fun being a player now because you know now i get to score the goals and now i get to you know i get to score on the goalie instead of being the right. goalie that gets scored on um so yeah i had a pretty similar story but you know now now transitioning to where you went to school you know after high school at that, that age you're moving on to stanford university going for i believe chemical engineering mechanical engineering mechanical yeah. engineering sorry about that uh, and they're playing multi sports, you know, playing track and field and then playing men's hockey at the university. At that point, what did you think your future was going to be? Because you said you didn't start playing in, in like your first ever women's hockey until age 21. So at that age, where, where was your future and did this affect any decisions you were making leading up to this? For sure. Life? Yeah. So it was actually my dream to go to the Summer Olympic Games. I had really thought that um, hockey was going to be behind me. My coach at Stanford recruited me uh, for discus and javelin. So I was a track and field athlete and my, my brother was a swimmer. So we were always captivated by the Olympic games and I knew I wanted to go. I mean, every athlete wants to go. I didn't know what sport I didn't know how, um, but uh, I mean, I loved track and field and I did well at it. So I, I, that was my dream was to go to the summer Olympic games. And 
the, the coach at Stanford recruiting me there and said, there's a men's hockey team you could play on too. And now it's, it's club hockey. So we played pac 10 played all the big schools, but nobody goes to California to play hockey really. So our first line of guys would have been guys that played like in Minnesota or in Canada, or maybe even D one hockey. And we're doing their med school or business school there. And then by the time you got to our fourth line of guys, these guys had only ever rollerbladed in their entire lives. So it was a huge widespread difference in skill level, but uh, it was just really fun. And it just, um, for me, it was just a chance to get away from the rigors of engineering, which was really hard and being a scholarship athlete, which was also really hard. So for me, it was just my time away. Um, but while I was at Stanford, women's hockey was introduced to the Olympics for the first time ever. So that's sort of what drew me back into hockey, um, pursuing it. And that was really my first, I guess, dreams within the game besides growing up and wanting to play in the NHL, of course, everybody did, but, um, so that was the first time that I tried out for the, uh, women's Olympic hockey team was when, um, it was actually going into what would have been my third year of university. And so that was my first time that I got to play full-time with women when I made that team. Yeah. So uh, as you said, before we move on to, you know, playing in the Olympics, you like discus, javelin, men's hockey, roller hockey, after completing your years at university. And you said earlier that like you wanted to be in the summer games and hearing that women's hockey is now an Olympic sport. How did you pursue hockey? And was that like a hard decision for you coming out of university? So it was um, going into my third year and I had gone to the national championships for track and field. So I was hoping to make the leap from the junior national team to the senior national team. And that's not necessarily easy to do. It takes some time. Um, but I competed on the national junior team for four years. And so was really hoping for a good performance at that nationals and ended up triple faulting, which means in throwing, you get no distance and you don't place. And so I was disappointed in myself. And I decided that summer just to go to visit a, a friend of mine in Calgary who had moved there from Winnipeg. And, um, uh, I stayed with her and then I found that there's a women's hockey camp going on at the University of Calgary and I'd never been to a women's hockey camp. So I just kind of decided to try out for that, uh, not try out, I guess, go to the camp. And that's where I got seen by the national team coaches. That was the first time that they had really ever seen me play. So um, it was uh, the national team coach called me and asked me to come back to Calgary for a tryout after that camp. And, um, it was a tough decision because I was a full time, I was a full on full scholarship at Stanford. So, um, do I give up the scholarship for this potential of this Olympic dream and not no guarantee that I would get to go. And so that was difficult, but my coach at Stanford throwing coach, um, he had been to the Olympics in track and field and he told me I couldn't pass up the stream. So I, uh, went to Calgary, moved to Calgary and fully thought that I would make my way back to Stanford and finish out there, but ended up making the Olympic team. Um, and then uh, after the Olympics, uh, still had another year and a half to compete for Stanford in track and field. So I still wasn't a full time hockey player after the Olympics. But when I did graduate in um, 99, that's when I had to decide sort of what my future would entail. And it, um, I knew that track and field probably wasn't going to be part of my future because I had had so many shoulder injuries and just really wasn't competing at the level I needed to. But the tough decision was between a full-time job in the Silicon Valley 
or playing hockey full-time for basically no money. So that wasn't an easy decision, but once I sort of made the leap and moved to Toronto, um, I guess the, the rest is history. Um, I lived like an impoverished student for a long time, but, um, all the sacrifices were worth it. Yeah. That's, it, it, it's awesome to hear that, you know, that, you know, it, it kind of felt like the relief was there, but kind of going into my next question, your, your first of your 10 year tenure with the, uh, with the women's national team in 1997, uh, you know, making that team, was there any sort of like, you know, relief, like job, not like, like jobs finished or is there kind of like in terms of playing the game you know we hear this all the time but like job not finished like what was your thoughts when you first made the team and where were you going to go from there yeah I think because I didn't grow up with this dream like a lot of hockey players do now um and I didn't play in university like a, a lot of the top level players do and um you know they're playing every day I never had that opportunity so when I made the Olympic team I felt like it was kind of just a start. I, I didn't really even know what to expect. And I think none of us did because it was um, for the first time it was in the Olympics. So um, yeah, I don't know that I ever felt like um, there was a, a, the job well done or it was at the end or it was over um, or, you know, just simply getting the Jersey was good enough. It was for me, it was um, a chance to play. It wasn't necessarily uh, this is the be all end all. It was like, this was kind of the only place that we could play. So um, I wanted to uh, get better to be able to stay on the team and be able to contribute and do the best that I could. But I ended up playing professionally until the age of 42. I think because I didn't have those experiences early, um, a lot of women, a lot of guys too, they get um, either they get burnt out or they go through injuries or uh, things, uh, setbacks in their career that doesn't allow them to keep playing. But um, not only did I get to play on the national team for 10 years, but then I got to play for another 10 years after that in the women's professional league. So, um, I just always felt like I was still learning cause I, I didn't have the chance to go to camps growing up. I didn't have the chance. I mean, the first time I learned how to butterfly honestly was at the Olympic camp. And so, I mean, you could just imagine the wide range of goalie skills. I started with skate saves, um, and then ended up with RVHs at the end of my career. So it was like, having to learn something new. As soon as I felt like I had mastered something in goaltending, all of a sudden there was a new thing. Like you master the VH and I, I thought I was so good at that. And then all of a sudden it's an RVH and you're like, I just got that last one. Like it was, so anyways, there's always this constant learning and constant um, push to get better. So I think that's what kept me engaged in the game and always, uh, you know, wanting to pursue being better, not necessarily winning games, but just being able to improve. Yeah, I, I give I give goalies a lot of credit because uh, it's not an easy position to play. Uh, speaking from experience, and obviously you being an <laughs> Olympic athlete, it's it's not easy. But you know, it it, it takes time to uh, to actually get good. And I, I wish that I I understood that as a kid that you know I'm not always going to be the best one on the ice, and it it takes time, right? <laughs> um, but speaking of an environment, from start to where you finish playing hockey, or I guess you still are playing hockey, but let's say from the end of the Olympics playing on the women's national team, winning gold medals, championships, MVPs. How did the atmosphere change and how did the emotions change at that, at that point? So how did it change after we started winning? You mean? Let, no, let's just say like from the start of playing hockey, how did oh, your okay. emotions, how the atmosphere change as you started to end off your career? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know that it did. I think it, I always had that same drive and I always had that same kind of passion. Um, whenever I... 
um, go back to my old community center in uh, Winnipeg and skate on the outdoor rinks. I mean, I still feel that same joy, you know, when I see a clean sheet of ice, I still, I still love it. And I mean, now playing rec as a forward, it is, I mean, it's different, but I still go out and despite jobs and uh, kids and um, pressures of life for that one hour, I don't think about anything else. And so that's what I love about it is it's, you're just totally in the moment. And um, the same thing with the national team. I mean, yes, there's big games that I got to play in and you're nervous before the game, but once the puck drops for me, it was just, I got to play and really, I, I really only had nerves prior to games. Once the game started, it was, you're just fully in the moment. I think that's what I love so much about sport. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. It's, it's great to hear that. And, you know, before moving on to what you do now uh, off of the ice, um, being a three-time Olympian, five-time world champion, playing on the greatest, the arguably the greatest women's hockey team of all time, leading up to winning your fifth world championship, you know, in your home province of Winnipeg. Was that the cherry on top, would you say, for professional hockey? Because obviously you played in the Clark- the Clarkson Cup of 2014. You played with the Toronto Furies. Was winning the fifth one in your hometown, I, I at least I would say that that's pretty awesome, winning a world championship there. Was that really like the the cherry on top? Um, yes and no. I think you haven't been a goalie, you know, um, the difference when you play the final game versus when you sit on the bench for the final game. And in Winnipeg, I sat on the bench. So yes, it was amazing to see my city get behind women's hockey and to have all my friends and family be able, be able to be out there. And, um, you know, I got to play in some games, but not playing the final is different. Um, you still have this, uh, excitement and you're still excited for everybody else, but it's not the same as if you put in the effort, uh, to be the goalie. And, uh, that's just the reality of being almost an individual in a team sport. So I think my biggest moments, uh, were the big games that I played. And some of those were with the national team winning world championships. Um, but some were with club teams that you're on the bus, uh, for six months with, and you're toiling away and, um, there's nobody in the stands and you win a national championship. So, um, I don't know. People always ask what it's like to win an Olympic gold medal. And, um, I, I say that it's the same feeling as I had when I was in high school and I was playing volleyball and we won a provincial championship and I'd played with these girls for four years and, um, had been through so much. I mean, these weren't classmates, but they're my teammates and that feeling of pure joy um, and excitement at the end, that's what it felt like winning an Olympic gold medal or world, ch- world championship medal. Um, but the biggest difference is the world is watching. So other people uh, can share in that joy with you later. So 20 years later, I'm still talking about some of those moments where I don't get to talk as much about my v- volleyball provincial championship. So thank you for letting me talk about that. Um, <laughs> but it really, the feelings are the same. And um, I think anytime that you've put your heart and soul into something, um, that you're going to have, you're going to feel that pride and it doesn't matter if there's a big reward at the end or not. It's just really about feeling that pride. That's that it's, it's great. It's uh, I'm, I'm glad you got to talk about uh, volleyball there for a second. <laughs> um, yeah, thank uh, you. yeah, it's, I, it usually, I see people or like, I talk to people that, you know, have, you know, being, let's say being drafted to the NHL, the OHL, they're always like, you know, yeah, I got drafted, no problem. And like, being so humble about winning a gold medal because pretty much everybody wants to win a gold medal. I would love to have a gold medal myself. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool hearing that, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just like winning volleyball. It's just like whenever you're pouring your heart into it, mm-hmm. it it's pretty awesome to, to hear it that way. 
Now, transitioning into what you do now for women's hockey, the Canadian Women's Hockey League, I'm sure everybody here has heard of it. If you haven't, then, you know, you need to do a little bit of research. Um, but it's co-founded in 2007, along with some other players. What was the idea behind the plan and how did everything kind of shape up? Yeah, I mean, it, there was no idea. There was no plan, to be honest. Um, in that year, the uh, I we had been... Um, Olympic athletes, we had, we were training full-time and suddenly the owners of the league, um, that we were playing in decided that, uh, they were pouring too much money into women's hockey. They're going to take a step back and they're going to take a year off. And so, um, really the impetus was simply that I wanted to play and I had time because I, uh, was a full-time athlete. Some of the other women in in the league had full-time jobs, but I had time and I really enjoyed administrating. I didn't know I would, but I enjoyed sort of organizing and figuring things out. So took a lot of the um, stress of starting that league on my shoulders because I felt like uh, selfishly, if I did it, then we'd have a place to play and I'd have a place to play. And so that first year of the CWHL was just a lot of women banding together and trying to figure out a way to make this work. So all of the different teams across the country um, we basically pooled our money and we had one central pot of money. Uh, we uh, helped each other with sponsorship and raising funds so that we could play on the weekends, basically. And um, these are the top women in the entire world. And here we are trying to figure out how to get uh, rent buses and all these things we had never done before. But luckily, we had uh, some help from uh, the business community downtown in Toronto and um they sort of struck our first board, created a board of directors and gave those of us that were involved in the business side, almost a mini MBA, like a, um, none of us had been schooled in sports administration uh, as an engineer. There was lawyers, there was various different um, backgrounds. So, but we were all willing to learn and I took on the sponsorship. Uh, so went out and got money and it's, uh, it certainly wasn't easy, but it was, it was new and it was exciting and we felt like we were doing it for the greater good. And so I think that that's what kind of kept us driven uh, to create something. That very first league, the first year, the entire budget was like $350,000 for the entire league. Um, and then fast forward to the end of the league in 2017, the budget was like 2.7 million or something. I mean, it just, it escalated um, because people started to see the product and believe in the product and, Slowly but surely, every year we built, we continued to build. And um, so it gave me a great background into sports administration and the business side of sport um, that I would have never had had this opportunity not kind of landed in our lap. Um, but uh, we really thought we were just running the league for one year. We thought the owners were going to come back. But I think what we created was uh, sort of an even better uh, system. And so uh, we just kind of continued to pursue and uh, push forward and hired our first commissioner and um, hired a staff to take over so that we didn't have to do all of it. But um, yeah, it's something I'm incredibly proud to have been a part of in the beginning and um, that it was almost like uh, our baby, you know, like we um, had done so much to create this. And so that, uh, yeah, I'm proud that I was part of it. Yeah. And raising billions of dollars for elite women's hockey and becoming the vice chairman of the league. And, you know, that that it kind of like the envision, but not so much the envision coming to part. Like, you know, now that I see it as like a big like a big change in women's hockey, because now, you know, we we still look at that as 
this is a this is an elite women's hockey league and you know back in when you started playing that that's pretty unheard of right mm-hmm. so like who who were some of the people that you reached out to when you wanted to make you know now a change in the women's hockey and how other than playing did you decide to push the message of women belong in hockey and when did something really spark at that time yeah i mean i think for those of us in the game um there wasn't really a push to uh, show others that people belonged in hockey. Cause we knew the fans were out there. We knew that there was um, if we could just get people to know about our game, that people would come. So initially who we reached out to um, there was a guy named Michael Solomon who ran virtual equity downtown Toronto. And he allowed us to meet in his offices, but he also got a lot of his buddies involved in who were lawyers and accountants and, um, uh, create, created our first, um, uh, set of policies. And I mean, it just, it was amazing to have so many people pushing and so many incredible women that were really pushing all in the same direction. And so the fact that I think the most special thing for me was, um, at the end of my career, which was my final year playing was the first year that we as players got paychecks. And that's when I really felt like we had made it because here we were finally making money playing the game we loved. And now the, the uh, salaries are so much higher, but um, just the fact that we made a little bit then was uh, pretty special to have seen it come from one all the way to there. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and now, you know, kind of bringing up to what I said beforehand, something that I didn't want to really, uh, really poke at in case people didn't hear of it. You, you published a book. It's called The Role I Played, it published in 2020, not too long ago, on honoring players and teammates who sacrificed so much of their lives to represent Canada and taking the reader kind of into dressing rooms and onto the ice for an up-close glimpse of the ups and downs of the athletes uh, pursuing sports like the, like the Olympics and winning Olympic gold medal. Has this always been something you know, you've wanted to do or did the people in the atmosphere kind of inspire you to relive, relieve, or relive such, an, such a powerful story? Yeah, I mean, I initially started to write the book. I work as a professional speaker, so I do a lot of um, events where with corporate clients, and most speakers have a, a book that they sell at the back of the room. So that's sort of that was what um, led me to want to write a book. Um, so I wrote a book fairly quickly about basically my keynote speech, but a little bit more expanded. And then when I read the book, I wasn't. I didn't feel like I really did the story justice. And I felt like there's so many women um, that uh, people don't know about and people don't know about that team. And um, so I went back and I took some writing courses to figure out how to really expand the stories and make the stories better and to really do justice. Like you said, um, I felt like I was really a caretaker of that history and I wanted it to be right, but I also wanted it to be entertaining and Um, so it took me a long time to write. It, um, took me 10 years. Part of it was I had a baby in that time too. So your life goes chaotic anyways. Um, but I started writing it right after the Vancouver Olympics. Um, I didn't compete in that Olympics, but my husband who's a Paralympian sledge hockey player, he did. And I think just getting it down on paper, um, really helped with my journey. Uh, anytime, uh, it's the end of your career with the national team is hard. Uh, and you tend to think about the end versus all of the amazing memories. So that really helped me. Um, 
And then as I started to really delve into the stories, it allowed me to reconnect with some of my teammates. And um, yeah, so that was a really fun process to go through. And um, initially, I was just going to self-publish. But then once I felt like I was proud of the story, I ended up going to ECW Press and they published it um, for me. And it's a, I mean, just a really um, something I'm just super proud of that is out there that um, hopefully people pick up and read and find out about all these other amazing women that um, we really stood on their shoulders. And uh, there's some names that people will know, like a Haley Wickenheiser or Cassie Campbell, but there's another 200 names that people should know, I think. Yeah, I, I spoke to uh, to Cassie Campbell on, uh, on my other podcast, and she was also fantastic. It's, it's great to hear a lot of voices from women's hockey because I, I've, I've wanted to like, you know, I, I see a lot of, you know, girls. I work at Pro Hockey Life, so I see a lot of girls coming in, and it, it's it's pretty awesome to see that, you know, hearing your story to begin with and now kind of looking around and seeing, you know, a women's tournament and, like, younger girls playing hockey, which is completely normal to us now which is pretty awesome. And, you know, now that it kind of running through my head, um, it, it's, it's pretty cool to see that. But at this moment in time, with everything you've done for women's hockey, and especially with your keynote speaking career, what would you say up until now has been the most impactful moment of your life? This could hmm. be a tough question. I know. That is, I mean, I, I have a daughter, so I feel like, her birth was pretty impactful and that's changed our enough. lives. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and on the day of our wedding, of course. Um, so, I mean, there's moments to me that are so much bigger than any game or any uh, thing that we've won. Um, but if you want to talk actual sports, um, and maybe that's where the question is more directed, I think... Um, you know, I, I, I struggle with what my favorite game was. Um, the 99 world championships was our first world championship win after losing in Nagano. Um, and that was huge. Uh, so getting to be a part of that, and that was my first world championship. Um, that was really special. Um, but there was a, a couple of club team championships with the Toronto arrows, uh, that, uh, we won, uh, which was the predecessor to the Clarkson cup. So Clarkson cup didn't exist yet, but um, that we won in just really dramatic fashion. There was one game in particular, uh, a national championship that we we're down, um, two nothing with two minutes to play. And we we're on the PK and we scored two goals on the PK and one in overtime. So that one was maybe the most dramatic, uh, game I've ever been a part of. That was really special. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think all of the games this many years later kind of meld together and it's really the people that stand out to me. You know, we took some amazing adventures around the world together and um, that's what really is something that I'm so grateful to have had is all of those amazing people that I met along the way that I wouldn't have got to do had I not been so involved in sport. That's fantastic. And, you know, she does talk about this a lot in her book. So if you haven't already please give it a read, like get it. It's on her, her website. You can get it on Amazon. It is, I, I'm personally going to get it after hearing all these stories because I, I want to hear more. Like I want to, I want to get to, you know, to know your story a lot more than I already have now, but to kind of wrap everything up, do you plan to stay involved in this, in this field as long as you can? And you know, what is the future of Sammy Joe small? And what is the future of women's hockey kind of a weight in, in your eyes? 
Well, that's the million dollar question. Uh, what is right. the future of women's hockey? But I think helping in any way I can, um, supporting in any way I can, um, continuing to play on my three rec hockey teams that I just absolutely love. Um, I think, you know, it's uh, sport isn't life, but it certainly can uh, teach us a lot about life in a uh, very controlled environment. And so, yeah, the future of hockey, I think it will always be a part of me. Uh, my husband and I are now coaching our daughter uh, and trying to get her to love the game, uh, but supporting him as well and uh, traveling the world and being a fan. And um, yeah, it just has given me so much that it's, uh, it, it is amazing that I got to live out this hockey career um, when as a little girl, it was really kind of unacceptable to, for girls to play hockey. So I just feel so grateful for all the moments that I got to have. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I hope, you know, that if there's any girls listening to this, that, you know, they, they understand that, you know, they're kind of afraid to play hockey just because of, you know, the reactions they get that it, it's okay. And now, now it, it's accepted and hockey is really for everybody. And it's really important to kind of push that message to pretty much everybody that anybody can play hockey, no matter, no matter who you are. Right. And it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. awesome to see, you know, what you've done for women's hockey and how it's, how it's growing. And, um, I'm, I'm really excited to see what you do next, but, you know, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me today. It's, it's been awesome. I hope, you know, everybody gained a little bit, um, from your story. It's, it's very, very impactful. And again, read your book, listen to her Ted talk. She has a lot of things around, uh, you know, speakers. If you ever need any, uh, you know, speakers, <laughs> she has goalie schools across, like she does everything. So, if, you know, everything, anything, just go to, we with Sammy Joe Small dot, uh, dot CA for all yeah, of, that's know, right. for all of a- anything you need from her. Uh, and you can see a lot of the stuff that she does uh, much like I did. And yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to, uh, to join me on the very first episode. Well, thank you, Raiden. And maybe we'll see you at pre- pro hockey life. You never know. Yeah. You never know. Never know. So, thank you so much everybody for listening. And I will see you guys in episode two. I'm Braden, and this is the Office Podcast, where we take you through on and off the ice, the hockey industry. And I hope you learned a little bit something today, and I will see you later. Oh, I